to the HR Grapevine podcast, the podcast series that takes an in-depth look at one of the most fascinating, important or divisive HR stories from over the last week. I'm Sophie Parrott, online editor at HR Grapevine, and each week I'll be joined by a different HR journalist as we explore the contemporary practice and most pressing debates in HR within a short podcast. So join me as we properly pick apart what it means to work in the people function. Today, I'm joined again by Kieran Howes, Deputy Editor at Executive Grapevine Digital Media. Welcome back, Kieran. Pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Ah, pleasure to be here again. This is, a, this is a very important topic that we're discussing today. Yes, absolutely it is. Diversity and inclusion has been a big part of the HR function's remit for many years. Increasingly, the people function has become savvy to the idea that diversity of thought within the workforce breeds better creativity, increased output and enhanced employer brand and a better comprehension of the customer. In fact, some research from Boston Consulting Group found that companies with greater diversity among senior teams enjoy revenues that are up to 19% higher than their competitors. And in addition to this, some separate research from McKinsey found that racially and ethnically diverse organisations outperform similarly placed organisations by 35%. And so as the stats have shown, there is a real business benefit to prioritising the diversity and inclusion agenda. While diversity is, of course, an important part of HR's remit, so too is workplace inclusion. And to cite a famous quote from the diversity advocate, Vernon Myers, diversity is being asked to party, inclusion is being asked to dance. Essentially, it's all very well to have great workplace diversity, but of course it's crucial that those in the workforce feel valued, accepted and supported to thrive at work, regardless of their background or circumstance. And according to the CIPD, inclusion is what is needed to give diversity a real impact in the workplace. And with this week marking National Inclusion Week, we are dedicating this episode of the podcast to this important topic of inclusion, particularly in remote workplaces. Since the coronavirus pandemic hit the UK earlier this year, and many people have, of course, been working from home and will continue to do so following the government's latest guidance, different groups of employees have been faced with individual struggles. For example, as has been widely documented, working parents have been challenged by a lack of childcare and caring responsibilities, particularly when schools and childcare institutions were closed during the height of lockdown. And they were also, of course, holding a job down at the same time. And they most likely had to change working schedules to flex around childcare and homeschooling too. And a recent study conducted by Clio found that working parents lose what equates to two full days of productive work time each week. And while the study was based in the US, it still demonstrates the level of struggle that I'm sure many working parents in the UK can resonate with as they juggle between these different responsibilities. Um, Another group impacted by the pandemic is young people. For example, June 2020 analysis from the TUC stated that younger workers, particularly in the 25 and under category, face the highest risk of unemployment due to the crisis. Um, And also a new study conducted by London's mayor found that black people are at almost twice the risk of dying from COVID-19 than white people. And this was reported by Sky News, even though separate research has found that BAME people are not genetically more at risk of dying from coronavirus. So I think what some of these examples here demonstrate is some of the stresses and strains that just a couple of the employee groups I've reeled off there have been challenged with throughout this time. I, I absolutely love that Werner Myers quote you said there, Soph. It's it's very powerful. 
and I think demonstrates the point that we're making here very well. And I think DNI is one of those subjects where people outside of the HR function would be surprised at just how much of a common issue it is. In fact, according to Gallup research, just over half of all workers have experienced some kind of discrimination at work, making them feel alienated from their peers. Obviously, 40% of women feel that they are underrepresented in the decision-making process, whilst one in 10 LGBTQ employees have left a job because they describe the environment as unwelcoming. Those are, those are quite worrying statistics. It's obvious that there's a lot of work left to do to make the workplace inclusive. And not all detriments to inclusion are intentionally hostile. One example of this, I think, is work drinks. It may be perceived by some as positive socialising, which is, of course is important with colleagues and peers. However, it can be exclusionary for those who perhaps don't drink for religious or ethical reasons. And in fact, a recent report from Canada Life Group Insurance reveals that 33% of UK employees report a drinking culture in their workplace, whilst 28% of UK employees on average have felt pressured into drinking alcohol at work in the past. That's something that we've obviously covered quite a lot on HR Grapevine. That can alienate a lot of employees and make them feel like they just aren't part of that company culture. And now definitely is uh, you know a, a relevant time to talk about this because a lot of employees are remote and struggling with their social lives, socialising with colleagues, and therefore digital Friday drinks have become a really popular option to counteract that. Obviously, I'm not advocating stopping this social time. It's very, very important. But why not change the phrasing and take the emphasis away from alcohol to just work social time? We all need to consider that element when planning this kind of thing. Yeah, I definitely think that's an interesting point you raised there. Definitely taking away the, you know, the emphasis from alcohol could be a good way to create a more inclusive activity that benefits more of the wider work population. Of course, you know, workplace inclusion is extremely important, not just for employees to feel as though they belong, which, of course, is a big part of HR's remit, but also it can have, you know, huge benefits for the business as well. With many people either returning to home working or continuing to work from home in light of the government's announcement recently, it's definitely important that remote inclusion is a top priority for people teams. And just to share an anecdote of a recent chat that I had with Twitter's EMEA HR lead, Anne Keely, a couple of months back. We were chatting about diversity and inclusion, and she was saying how important the DNI gender is at their organisation. Within this conversation, she was explaining to me about business resource groups that operate at the company, which essentially are organically formed employee-centric committees, which include, among other things, Twitter open for LGBT plus staff, Twitter able for staff with disabilities, and Twitter faith for those with a faith. And during the height of lockdown, and I thought this was a fantastic idea, Anne described a virtual activity that the Twitter faith group facilitated around the time when various different religious celebrations such as Easter and Passover, and this is what she said to me at the time, most people that have a faith will bond over food, so Twitter faith is having a virtual cookery course where people are cooking online and eating together, and it's really important. I think this is a great example of what Twitter has done to promote virtual inclusion within the workplace and something that was definitely relevant to a period of time, you know, when everyone was working from home and also where things like religious celebrations were happening at the time. Kieran, I know more recently you have caught up with an HR expert before the podcast. What was it you found out? 
Yeah, yeah, I did. Just to say, I think that's a great idea from Anne. Food definitely unites everyone, doesn't it? I, I recently spoke to Stephanie Lunn, who is the Global People and Culture Director at Guinness World Records, obviously quite an iconic name. And she said that at GWR, which is what they call themselves internally, inclusion is a massive part of the company's culture. And since the pandemic, they've been utilising the power of technology to connect. She told me that whereas the company recently had a book launch, something that they would traditionally get together for physically, to celebrate, they got all of their employees around the world together for a digital party where they played games specifically designed to break down barriers and and unite the company. And, you know, they did this across continents. It was amazing. She said that this is a quote from her. It was all silly fun, but so joyous to get together. We were balancing books on our head and making origami. Even people from Japan stayed up to take part in these events where, as a company, we competed against each other with these fun challenges. And it was great to see people who otherwise wouldn't interact getting to know each other. And that's possible because of technology. Meeting digitally really opens the door. And that's also true for disabled people or people looking after children. They can be just as involved, whereas traditional team building can be exclusionary in lots of ways. I think that's a really, really quite powerful point about you know, just how beneficial actually replacing some of those physical interactions with uh, with digital ones can really be. So you've caught up with someone as well before the podcast, I believe, to talk a little bit more about remote connections there. So do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yes, just to share some additional HR best practice and some insights. Before the podcast, I spoke to Rachel Credidio, who is the Group People and Transformation Director at Asta Group, who essentially said that their approach to achieving an inclusive company culture has always been centred around honest and open communication. And she said to me, the mantra has become even more important to us at a time when remote working is the norm and the risk of people feeling isolated or disconnected increases. Throughout lockdown, a focus for us has been ensuring that our people still feel connected and a big part of that is providing the right channels for them to tell us how they are feeling, what's working in our approach and crucially what needs to change. So how have they achieved this? Well, Rachel tells me that this has been achieved through regular COVID-19 pulse surveys, Reflect Week, innovation cafes as well as live Q&As with leaders has helped the firm to develop a good and well-rounded understanding of how the workforce was feeling. She also explained to me that they had a Keeping Well and Feeling Connected program, which essentially encouraged new ways for colleagues to feel supported and included at work. And she finished off by saying to me, ultimately, it is this consistent two-way dialogue that will enable our culture to continue evolving in a way that people with different experiences or backgrounds can identify with. And I think that just seems to be a running vein from what we've seen through a lot of the insights from HR leaders here. It's about, you know, finding different creative ways to involve all of your workforce. But unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. HR Grapevine wouldn't exist without your continued readership and engagement with our content. Whether that's our daily newsletters, monthly magazines, webinars, live events, or market leading research papers. So to find out more or to sign up to our daily content newsletter, which showcases solutions and best practice answers to all of your HR issues, please visit hrgrapevine.com.